We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. We are back with another episode of the Pack a Day podcast. We are on episode four hundred and six. It's like every time I'm on the show, the number just keeps climbing. Um, math numbers, I don't know. It's pretty <laughs> incredible. Um, my name is Maggie Loney, and today I am joined by Jacob Westendorf. Uh, we're missing our friend Nick Schmitz, um, who has fallen ill and hopefully recovers in time for this Packer-Bears game uh, set to kick off tomorrow night. Uh, Jacob, how you doing? Happy birthday. I want to get that on the air. Um <laughs> How's it going? How's the birthday yeah. boy? Yeah, it's going well. You know, another year older, another year not wiser, I guess. But, you know, it's nice two days before recording this on the third. Uh, so two days before kickoff, Green Bay, Chicago, uh, 100th season, all that sort of stuff. And I am now thoroughly convinced that we will never have the full trio together because this is the third show we've had since we've been paired up. And either myself or Nick has missed every show. Or excuse me, no, I take that back. I believe you missed one show is what happened because we got switched. Yeah. That's what it was. So one of us has missed every single show now. <laughs> so maybe we'll get paired up. Maybe we won't. Uh, but <laughs> it's uh, it's going well. I'm ready for football season to start. Well, I want to talk about this with you first because I know that your wife had gotten you a Darnell Savage jersey. Um 
So as we record this, probably maybe an hour before we started, um, the news broke, of course, that Darnell Savage was changing his number from 26 to 21. I think that happened on Monday, maybe. Um, he showed up at practice uh, with his 21 Savage jersey. Um, and then today, Tuesday the 3rd, uh, we have found out that Darnell Savage is keeping number 26. So, uh, Jacob, walk me through your thoughts. I know that there's probably a little relief there not having to uh, swap jersey numbers. Yeah, a lot of relief and for my wife's sake. So my wife, since we've been together, and we started dating the year of the run the table season. And we started dating as the Packers started to run the table. So I like to give her credit for the Packers playing in the NFC Championship <laughs> as much as I can. But uh, she has bought me two jerseys since we've been together. One of them was Ha Ha Clinton Dix, and if you do the timeline of when we got together, that was when it looked like he was going to be an all-pro type of player and a longtime Green Bay Packer. And as soon as she bought that jersey, he became one of the worst players on the defense. And then Darnell Savage, she bought me as like a surprise in May or June. I can't remember exactly when, uh, but she she bought that for me, and then it was like he changed his number before he'd even played a game. So I am relieved that my jersey is not going to be a collector's item for at least one season. <laughs> May switch to 21 next year. I guess we'll see on that. But, uh, yeah, I'm thankful. And, frankly, uh, I know who 21 Savage is, but I don't think I could pick out one of his songs if you asked me to. So that wasn't that big of a deal to me. <laughs> I kind of don't want to put this out on the podcast because I don't want fans to – blame me if anything goes wrong, but I have the worst luck buying jerseys. I mean, every time I buy a player's jersey, either he gets hurt and goes on injured reserve or he gets uh, traded away. I even bought my friend over the off season a Mike Daniels jersey, and the fact that I bought it on my credit card got him traded or got yep. him released. So yeah, that's I, the reason. I mean... So now I'm going with uh, Reggie White and Jerry Kramer and Bart Starr jerseys because, you know, if they want or, you know, Jordy Nelson, even once they're retired out of the game, I feel safe that I can put it on. But my luck has been terrible and I need that to turn around, hopefully this season. Yeah, let's hope. <laughs> All right. So we have a couple important roster moves to talk about today as well. Um, rookie tight end Jay Sternberger uh, placed on injured reserve, which is unfortunate. Um, he finally got to see in-game action preseason week four against the Chiefs. Uh, but in that matchup, he hurt his ankle and the Packers uh Tuesday put him on injured reserve for that reason. Um, the good news, I guess, is that unlike EQ, he would at least be eligible to return this season. Um, in his place, the Packers have ele elevated Alan Lazard um, off the practice squad for um, that final spot on the 53-man roster. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Sternberger, we'll see if he's able to return. kind of sucks that, you know, he, he gets hurt, and he's just kind of had a rough start to camp. I mean, a, a hit in practice that, during a game, probably, I mean, I haven't seen the hit, but, um, you know, during a game, maybe not as big of a deal. But the fact that we're in practice at that time, you know, people want to protect uh, all the guys involved and all that stuff. And that gets him that gets him injured. Uh, and he misses the first three preseason games in the concussion protocol and with a jaw injury as well. And then he gets he comes back and he plays and he plays okay. I mean, he scores a touchdown. I, I made the joke during the fourth preseason game that, you know, 100% of 
uh, Jay Sternberger's catches go for touchdowns, and that is still true. At this point. <laughs> so maybe that'll remain true for his rookie season. It's a position that Sternberger was likely to kind of have a redshirt season anyways. You know, Jimmy Graham's going to be the starter. Robert Tanya and Mercedes Lewis were all pretty comfortably ahead of him on the depth chart. So that kind of stinks um, that he just can't be on the field in a pinch even. You know, I mean, if knock on wood, a couple guys get hurt opening night, now the Packers all of a sudden are at just absolute, you know, DEFCON 3 for who their tight ends are. Uh, if, if Even if one guy goes down, honestly, there's only three guys on the roster. I believe they kept Evan Bayless on the yep. practice squad. So, I mean, they would that would be a logical call-up. But at the same time, I mean, that's a raw, undrafted, free agent rookie. How much do you really want him playing uh, in games of consequence? So that will remain to be seen. Maybe it's something to where, you know, Gutekunst swings a smaller trade the way he did for B.J. Goodson, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Uh, as for the promotion of Alan Lazard, I guess a little confusing on my end just because they have seven receivers. I know Darius Shepard hasn't practiced this week, but I can't picture them needing seven wide receivers. Uh, Lazard's a nice player, uh, enjoyable in the preseason from that regard. Uh, receivers are a dime a dozen. I mean, especially average to below average NFL wide receivers. There's just so many of them. And in college football, there's so many that come out because there's so much spread and so much passing and that there's all kinds of guys that can step in and play that sort of role to the point where I thought, you know, everybody was kind of having a conniption on uh, what late last week when it was a wonder of if they were going to sign Lazard or not to the practice squad. And I was like, they'll just be able to find somebody just like that here pretty simple uh, pretty quickly. But Rogers likes him. Uh, Brian Gutekunst seems to like him. He said that his stay on the practice squad wouldn't be very long. It turns out it didn't even last for one full game. Um, so I'm interested to see, I would guess since he didn't make the initial roster that he's, and he was injured, uh, going into that last week of camp as well. So I'm going to guess he'll be inactive on Thursday night, uh, and that, you know, we'll see what happens with Darius Shepard, but I would imagine, I mean, your active receivers for sure are going to be. Adams, MVS, Allison, Kumaro, and Trevor Davis, and then maybe one of or well, it won't be both. I can <laughs> I feel pretty confident in saying they won't have seven receivers active on game days. Uh, but that was interesting to see nonetheless. Uh, we'll see who they signed to the practice squad to replace him at some point this week too. I'm sure. Yeah, and I mean, I think that there's been a lot of speculation, at least I've seen on Twitter, I don't know how much you've seen it, um, that people are wondering, because Alan Lazard is 6'5", if the Packers will try to turn him into, like, a hybrid receiver tight end. And while I think, you know, there's merit to the idea, I understand why people would suggest that. Jimmy Graham is basically a wide receiver. You know, he doesn't function like a normal tight end, especially in a Matt LaFleur offense. He's not a blocking player, and as much as he tries to be a blocking tight end, he's just never going to be one. Um, So I don't really think that anyone needs to start labeling um, where any of these players are on offense. I mean, you've got Geronimo Allison lined up in the slot half the time. So I get them wanting to have another uh, pass catcher um, on the offense given, you know, the the loss of Sternberger. But like you said, Sternberger probably wasn't playing a ton, at least initially in the beginning of the season. Alan Lazard, probably in that same camp, probably not playing a ton now that he is on the 53. So it's exciting, especially when you see players that had really strong preseasons on that active roster. Um, But I talked about this with Janelle and Sarah last week. 
um, even those receivers that look really good in preseason are still rounding out your depth depth chart is like the fourth, fifth, sixth guys. So they don't see a ton of snaps in game unless it's a terrible situation like the Cardinals divisional round game where you had uh, Jeff Janis, Jared Aberderis, and Trevor Davis as your uh, three go-tos on offense. So I guess the move makes sense. I'm happy for Lazard. I think he deserves a shot at the roster, but it just I don't think it's anything that will really affect Uh, week one, which is, of course, what we're here to talk about today. Um, So on yesterday's episode of the podcast, um, the team broke down Packers offense versus Bears defense, which means today we get to break down Packers defense against Bears offense. So Jacob, what are some initial thoughts you have about that matchup? Well, I've said this before, and I think that a lot of people are starting to kind of come along with it as well as that I think especially early in the season uh, but really even as the season goes along the Packers defense has to be their strongest unit if you look at their first five weeks of the season they play Chicago who had the best defense in the NFL last year they play Minnesota who is very talented one of the best defenses in the NFL last year Denver who already had Von Miller and Bradley Chubb and now they get the pleasure of adding Vic Fangio who Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay, and Kyle Shanahan have all said as the hardest defensive coordinator to plan against. And then you add in after that, they play Philadelphia, who didn't have the best stats as far as their defense goes, but their front is vicious, especially if Fletcher Cox is healthy. There's a lot of different things that they can do. And then the Dallas Cowboys, who also have one of the best defenses in the NFL. All the talk in Dallas is about the contracts for their offensive players, but nobody's really talking about the fact that their defense might be one of the five best units collectively in the NFL. So I say that all to say this first week, my thought is that it's going to be, the Packers are going to have to win a lot of games. I think early in the season in a 20 to 13, 21 to 14, 24, 21 kind of fashion, because the offense I think is going to go through some growing pains. And at times we're going to be sitting back and wondering what the difference was between this year and last year from a sheer production standpoint. On the field specifically, I think the biggest matchup that the Packers can exploit is that the Bears on the offense, their interior offensive line is their strength, uh, as far as their offensive line goes at least. James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, Kyle Long, all three pretty good players. Um, Cody Whitehair, one of the better players in all football. James Daniels, Kyle Long, when he's healthy, has been very good. He's healthy. He should play on Thursday night. Bobby Massey is not good, and Charles Leno is average. So if you want a place where Green Bay can win, this is where Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith have to earn their money, and Rashawn Gary has to earn his draft status because the Packers are going to be relying on getting pass rush off of those guys because winning on the interior is going to be a little bit harder. Um, so that's that's my initial thought. on The biggest matchup that they have to win is that pass rush on the outer edge because that's where their easiest spot to win is. With their best player is Zadarius Smith on their defense. They paid him as such. They built their defense around him as such. It looks like that's the guy that they are going to hitch their wagon to, so to speak. He has to be big time on Thursday night, I think, for them to keep their defense in the game. Uh, that's that's the biggest matchup to me, at least looking at it from a strength standpoint for what Green Bay needs to win with in order to uh, win big on Thursday night. 
Yeah, so at the risk of, you know, stating the incredibly obvious, I think one of the big questions that the Packers defense has to address on Thursday is can they tackle? I mean, there were so many missed tackles in the preseason, and a lot of that maybe could be attributed to the fact that these are not the starters playing. Um, These are some players that might not even um, have ended up anywhere in the NFL, let alone on a 53 or practice squad. Um, So does that attribute a little bit? Sure. Uh, But Mike Patton, when asked about that, you know, said something along the lines of, um, we teach the same fundamentals to everyone, so it shouldn't matter, uh, you know, who the player is. We still teach them how to tackle, how to wrap up. Um, So that's a big question for me is, can this defense prove that they are able to tackle? Um, How do they stand up against the run? Uh, Can they get off the field on third downs? And this preseason, we saw a ton of bend, don't break from that defense, which is okay. I mean, I think the Baltimore game is a good example of that, considering the starters were on the field for part of that. Zadarius Smith was all over the place, like you said. I think he's one of the key pieces of the defense. Um, But as much as we talk about bend, don't break, I'd kind of just like to see the defense not bend. And I know that's a lot of wishing and optimism and, you know, maybe not entirely plausible, but the Packers have spent a ton of money the last couple seasons to make this roster look almost unrecognizable compared to what it was a couple seasons ago, um, both in the secondary and the front seven. So at some point, when all of your money is going to those premier players, they have to start playing like premier players. And if they do that, it's Mitch Trubisky. He's a talented quarterback, but he goes through his ups and downs. Um, I'm not convinced that players like Allen Robinson and Anthony Miller and Taylor Gabriel will just completely annihilate the Packers secondary. I mean, you have Jair Alexander. Kevin King has said that he would play. Um, Whether Tremont Williams or Tony Brown gets the nod um, as the third corner kind of depends, too. But this is a really talented young Packers defense, and I think this is a a solid offense um, to play week one uh, to kind of get their feet wet because it's not necessarily an offense that's thought of as high-powered and explosive. Uh, You think of the Bears' defense as being kind of the face of the franchise. Um, But they still have talent there, and I think this is a really good matchup for the Packers uh, to kind of start developing an identity um, for what they want to see on defense moving forward. Um, How about you? I mean, I mentioned the tackling. I mentioned how they do against the run, but maybe who are some individual players that you'd like to watch um, Thursday night for the Packers' defense? Well, hearing Kevin King's name you know, brings a smile to my face. Kevin King has become the guy who it shouldn't be a contrarian opinion that I want him to succeed. Right. But at the same time, like, I mean, it's kind of ridiculous the hate that this guy gets. Again, I always say I really struggle criticizing players for struggling with injuries just because these guys kill themselves on a weekly basis for our entertainment. And frankly, it almost feels like we're acting like that they're trying to get hurt when we have conversations like this. But the reality is when Kevin King is on the field, he, he is the Packers' best cornerback. And I say that with all due respect to Jair Alexander and some of the other guys that were looking to make a jump this year. But if Kevin King can even play a little bit, that is a good sign, I think, early uh, for the Packers' defense to just kind of get on that track of let's get these guys – we drafted Kevin King high. We drafted Jair Alexander high. We drafted Josh Jackson high. 
We really like Tony Brown. Let's see what we can do with, I would just once like to see what Mike Patton's defense can do with all of the tools in his toolbox, because he really never had that last year for all the discussion about, you know, how the defense finished lower than the league average in a lot of statistical categories. And that's fair. But at the same time, you know, by the end of the year, the starting defense was almost unrecognizable for what you expected. I mean, Haha Clinton Dix and Kentrell Bryce were your starting safeties at the beginning of the year. Neither of them started that last Bears game that we were discussing uh, from last season. Uh, Kevin King did not play in that game. Jair Alexander played, but I believe was injured at a point during that game. I mean, there's just a lot of different bases on this defense right now to the point. Kevin King is one of the first ones on the defense. Uh, the other ones, I mean – they're shiny new toys, right? You know, Preston Smith, Zadarius Smith, Rashawn Gary, Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage. I mean, you're looking at, you mentioned spending a lot of money to make this roster unrecognizable. We're also talking about draft capital. The Packers haven't spent a, their first draft pick on an offensive player since 2011 when they took Derek Sherrod, 32nd overall, who may very well have been a good player if his leg hadn't exploded in front of God and everybody <laughs> at Arrowhead Stadium, the poor guy. But... Yeah, I mean, those those players, these guys, the Smiths were brought in to change this defense and get them on the track of, we want to be a Super Bowl defense right now. Gary and Savage were brought in to, along with Jair Alexander, be the core of this defense going into maybe the next phase of this franchise and put everything together. So those are the guys. I mean, Rashawn Gary, obviously the 12th overall pick. He's somebody who's gotten a lot of, a lot of flack uh, for not maybe making some plays in preseason and not making as many plays as many thought he should have at Michigan. I would love nothing more than for him to have two sacks in his first game as a Packer and just as a proverbial middle finger, if you will, to everybody that seems like they're rooting for this guy to fail because he wasn't the guy that they wanted in, in this year's draft. So, I mean, to answer your question directly, I mean, yeah, Kevin King back, see if he can make it through. Uh, what sounds like will be a limited snap count, and then the shiny new toys, because uh, those are the guys that, if Green Bay's defense is going to be good, the guys I named, along with Jair Alexander, are going to be the biggest reason why. Yeah, and I'll add to that a little bit. I mean, I, it's you made the best point when you talked about not only spending money in free agency, but also on draft capital. Um, and it's kind of funny that the Packers, it's, I mean, I guess it's not funny, it's awful um, that the Packers find themselves in the exact same situation again um, at inside linebacker that they did in 2018 as well. You know, Oren Burks, for being drafted where he was, has never really had the opportunity to take a leap. Um, And I feel for the guy. I mean, last year it was a shoulder injury. This year it's a chest injury. And uh, at least this year, maybe he looks like he's projected to come back a little sooner. Uh, But inside linebacker is in flux right now. Um, Blake Martinez is a reliable starter. Um, the Packers did bring in BJ Goodson. You mentioned that a little bit earlier, but he's had all of, I think, three days in the system right now. Um, and you can rely on Blake Martinez. Um, if you do want to bring up Ty Summers, uh, maybe as playing that second inside linebacker piece, um, he's looked good in preseason, but again, that's a lot um, to depend on a seventh round draft pick. Um, playing in his first real NFL action um, or his first regular season game. Um, 
the thing that I really like about Mike Patton's defense is that there are so many stunts and blitzes, and it's entirely possible that maybe he plays most of the game with only one inside linebacker, um, or he drops someone like Raven Green in the box, has an additional edge rusher um, play inside like Preston Smith. Um, But that is definitely one of the positions to keep an eye on heading into Thursday night because it is a position where the Packers are very scarce. Um, Another point that I wanted to mention was the defensive line. So if you look at the 2018 depth chart for the Packers, they entered week one with Kenny Clark, Mike Daniels, and Muhammad Wilkerson as their three starters along the line. The fact that Mike Daniels was released this offseason and that a veteran like Muhammad Wilkerson was never brought in or even, I guess, mentioned as someone the Packers would consider just kind of shows how much faith Gutekunst, Lafleur, and Mike Patton have in that young core. I mean, you're led by Kenny Clark, who is one of the most phenomenal um, players on the rise in the NFL. He's due a massive contract that he should likely receive probably, I would guess, sometime this season, uh, potentially next offseason. The Packers invested some money in Dean Lowry to keep him around. And then they're expecting another big jump from their uh, uh, third-round draft pick, Montrevious Adams, um, from the 2017 class. So those three guys are all young players um, with arrows pointing up that the Packers are really going to be relying on, considering that there really isn't a veteran in that room anymore. Um, And the guys behind them on the depth chart are Tyler Lancaster, Fidel Brown, and Kingsley Kiki. So, you know... That's going to be a position to watch heading into Thursday night. Um, It's one of the younger rooms, but honestly, I think defensive line is probably one of the strongest, if not the strongest position in in Green Bay. And maybe you could argue that quarterback is the strongest position, given it's Aaron Rodgers. Um, I don't know, but those are my players to watch on defense or, I guess, uh, positions to watch. Uh, But before we wrap this up, I feel like we also need to touch on Adrian Amos just a little bit. So, Jacob, we've talked about HaHa Clinton Dix. We've talked about Adrian Amos. We've talked about both of them facing off week one uh, for the opposing team's secondaries. Um, What are your thoughts, I guess, on Amos, HaHa Clinton Dix, both? Does it matter? Does the storyline even need to be discussed anymore at this point? Uh, it'll matter when MBAS is running behind him for a 60-yard touchdown that is a big point <laughs> for Green Bay as far as Clinton Dix goes. I mean, listen, Haha's a great dude. Uh, he did a lot of great things while he was in Green Bay. Uh, he still does. He does a lot of great things for the law enforcement committee, uh, committees in the area, the community in general, and he's doing that now that he's in Chicago as well. Cool. Um, and I know he costs less money than Adrian Amos does, but he – Stinks. I mean, quite frankly, he hasn't been good at football in two full seasons. There were two teams last year, the Green Bay Packers and the Washington Redskins. Washington traded a fourth-round pick for him and then decided they didn't need that guy, didn't want that guy. There was no investment made in him after that. And now Chicago fans are acting like this is ha-ha Clinton Dix, the stud safety, because he has a few sexy numbers as far as interceptions goes. There's no question Anybody who is paying attention to the stuff outside of the box score that will tell you Adrian Amos is a better football player than Ha-Ha Clinton Dix, and that's because he is. Um, how much will that storyline matter? It's hard to say because 
I mean, frankly, if Clinton Dix is getting beat for long bomb touchdowns, then yeah, it's going to show up on the sheet. But if Green Bay loses and their defense plays poorly, Amos isn't going to be what is blamed, but it's going to be something that's discussed, especially, I mean, Chicago fans are the ultimate freaking meatballs when it comes to <laughs> anything in life in general. And I live around a crap ton of them, so I could say that very, very comfortably. Um, so I'm sure that'll come up of how, you know, oh, money well spent. You know, you guys spent all this money on that safety you got. He had two tackles, zero interceptions, and you guys gave up, you know, 27 points or something like that. So I don't think that storyline is going to matter, but I'm sure that the meatballs in Chicago will bring it up if they win. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the easy things to point to for both teams um, and both fandoms if HaHa Clinton Dix is the player that gets burned for a late score. Um, by the Packers, that's obviously something that Packer fans will bring up. Um, if Adrian Amos, like you said, does not impress on the stat sheet, and historically he hasn't, but that's kind of who he is, and that's who the Packers want him to be. I mean, he was brought in to be the reliable safety who's always in the right place at the right time. He doesn't really have splashy numbers, but he never gives up the big play, and that's part of why they signed uh, or drafted Darnell Savage when they did. They wanted the complement of Amos in the backfield, someone who can fly around, uh, make tackles, go for the big play. Even if it means he gives up, um, you know, some receptions occasionally, he's still putting himself in a position to get the ball. Um, so the complement in the backfield is incredible when you think about the fact that last year the Packers literally had Clinton Dix, Kentrell Bryce, Jermaine Whitehead, and Josh Jones as their starting four safeties on defense. So. You know, we've talked a lot about how the Packers' defense has evolved. Um, and while the cornerbacks have stayed pretty consistent uh, from 2018 to 2019, that safety room has done a complete 180. Um, like you said, will fans try and blame it one way or the other? Sure. Uh, but I don't think that Amos or Clinton Dix will be, you know, a big storyline after the, the night. Um, I think maybe the bigger storyline will be the kicking game. If Mason Crosby misses a field goal or if uh, the Bears kicker misses a field goal, something will come down to some type of double doink. And I guess I think we all need to prepare for that. Um, That's my assumption, at least, especially after Crosby missed uh, a kick in the final preseason game. It just seems like these are the low-hanging fruit kind of easy storylines. So if you're looking for something to blame, it's either going to be something with the safeties or something with either kicking game. Um, before we sign off on another episode of the Pack-A-Day podcast, Jacob, why don't you give me your final record prediction for the Packers in 2019 and then give me your week one prediction? Yeah, so I have uh, actually a full breakdown of this in a magical place on the Internet that I'm not allowed to fully talk about yet. So I know that sounds really strange and stupid, but I'm sorry. That really is all I can say about that. Uh, I have the Packers going nine and seven this season. Uh, I think that there's an upside to this team to be a 12 win caliber team. There's just so many unknowns as far as how do the, how does the defense progress? How does it gel with all these new guys? How does the offense do? Cause frankly, I mean, something, that I don't think is being talked about enough is that there's so much emphasis being put on this new scheme and this new offense that Green Bay is putting together. And I do think that will help. 
But what if the Packers offense last season wasn't good because the players on the offense aren't good? Like that's something that is a legitimate possibility that I don't know has been discussed a whole lot. Uh, there's obviously some room for upside. Any offense that has Aaron Rodgers on it has room for upside. Devontae Adams is one of the best receivers in football. Aaron Jones is a very good running back. You could get jumps from players like Valdez Scantling and Geronimo Allison and Robert Tanyan and just some of those guys to say to those are possibilities. Uh, but I think there's a lot of question marks. So I'm not comfortable picking the Packers. I do think they're better than last year's team. Last year's team went six, nine and one. So essentially six and 10, if you will. I think the Packers this year are better than a six win team. I just don't know how comfortable I am picking them to win more than nine games. That nine wins, I did not have them making the playoffs off of that because I have the Dallas Cowboys winning 11 games and not winning their division. So that gives them a wild card. And I had the Atlanta Falcons winning 10 games. So that would beat out Green Bay. But I would not be surprised if I have to eat some crow on that. Thursday night, however, week one is known for some odd uh, happenings. The Packers have the flavor of unpredictability on their side with a brand new offense. They have a defensive coordinator with some new pieces, some new toys, some things he can put together. And I I just had a suspicion since the schedule came out that Green Bay was actually going to win this game on Thursday night. So I do think they're going to win. Uh, I think that they'll win. The Bears are favored by three points. Uh, I think the Packers are, if they win, obviously they're going to cover the spread in that regard. But I think Green Bay wins. I think they cover. I think they win 24 to 20. And they give some high amounts of optimism for the next 10 days going into the home opener uh, against the Minnesota Vikings. So Nine and seven, missed the playoffs. Packers win Thursday night. Yeah, and I think that that's um, something that Packer fans need to do. And I get flack for this on Twitter all the time for trying to be realistic in my outlook on things. I know that Packer fans want to read optimism and excitement. And I do have optimism for this season. But I have this, this team going 10 and six. Um, I haven't, I guess, really given much thought as to whether or not they would make the playoffs. I think that if they were 10 and six, they would likely end up with a wild card spot. Um, but this is a team that finished six, nine and one last season, and they've missed the playoffs the last two years. They completely overhauled their coaching staff, brand new head coach for the first time in I think 13 seasons. Um, so this is something new for a lot of people and it's new and it's exciting and it's new and it's a little nerve wracking for a lot of people um, that are used to the Packers winning constantly. Um, so I, I have them going 10 and six. I unfortunately have them losing the home opener or losing uh, the week one season opener against the bears, but I have them making up for that next weekend against the Vikings. I think they'll go one and one to start the season. Uh, division games are hard. I know that uh, Matt Nagy has a lot of unscouted, or I guess Matt LaFleur has a lot of unscouted looks that he can bring to the table, but it's still the NFL. He's still running similar schemes to Shanahan, McVay. Um, the defensive coordinator is the same in Mike Patton. Um, so there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but at the same time, assuming the Packers at least go 8-8, eight and eight, which I would say is their floor, I don't think they'll win less than eight games. And maybe that's me being optimistic. That's already an improvement on last season. Uh, so I know that Packer fans are always worried about wasting Aaron Rodgers' prime. You know, he only has so many seasons left. But to think that a brand-new head coach will come in, turn this team around, get to the playoffs, and, you know, have a real shot at a Super Bowl in year one of running this brand-new offense, 
it's it's kind of hard to consider that realistic. Do I hope I'm wrong? I definitely do. And we've seen it happen with the Colts. We've seen it happen with the Rams. We've seen it happen with the Eagles. So are the, there are teams that set an example in the past that the Packers could follow. Um, but do I see it happening this season? I don't know. Um, Jacob, as we wrap this up, once again, happy birthday and tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Yeah, the internet, you can find me on Twitter. Follow me there. It's at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, all kinds of stuff coming through there. Dairyland Express, one place that I have. I've given my 10 keys to a successful season. Reason number one, something I talked about tonight, will come out on Thursday morning before the Packers take on the Bears. And as I mentioned, there's another magical place on the internet that I can't fully discuss yet where there's some content being produced, uh, but there are some posts on Twitter that might be able to answer your questions if you don't quite know what that is yet. Uh, But I can't say anything until every T is uh, crossed and I is dotted. So that's where you can find me. I love a good content teaser. All right, my name is Maggie Loney. You can find me on Twitter at Maggie J. Loney. It's a brand new Twitter handle, formerly Maggie Lawler. And you can find my writing at She's Head TV. Thanks again for joining us on the Pack a Day podcast. And as always, go Pack Go!
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.